a practicing prayer. Hey guys, it's Ada Rosa. Welcome to Let's Talk Paralegal. On this episode, we get to speak to Kenneth Muntler. He is an attorney practicing for over 30 years now. He's also the president of the legal division of Copier Analytics. Um, they do a contingency fee-based document management services and, you know, related to infrastructure, best practice consulting, all that good stuff, and has saved those companies over $100 million. So definitely um, some... Hey guys, it's Ada Rosa. Welcome to Let's Talk Paralegal. On this episode, I get to speak with Kenneth Muttler. He is a practicing attorney for over 30 years, and he's also the president of the legal division of Copier Analytics. Uh, They are a contingency fee-based document management servicing company, also with anything related to the infrastructure and best practices. Um, They do a lot of consulting on that end as well. So definitely check out their website. The link is going to be on both the YouTube and the podcast links. So check them out for more information and to connect with Ken. Um, This, we actually go over a lot of things, actually. We go over the paralegal ethics, the best practices, and what attorneys look for when they are hiring a paralegal. So definitely beneficial for those out there that are looking for either um, enhancing their skills or new opportunities or just getting started. These are awesome tips that he provides in this conversation. So enjoy. And until justice is served, I will be here, guys. Hey, Ken. Welcome to Let's Talk Paralegal. How are you? I'm fine, Ada. Uh, how are you? I'm great. It's a pleasure actually seeing you because we do. We had a couple of conversations before this all over the phone. So it's really nice seeing you and putting a face to the voice and Likewise. to the legend and to everything that we're going to go over. Uh, I know you have a lot to offer for any legal support, but especially in paralegals. Uh, you do a lot of speaking engagements for the uh, paralegal associations nationwide. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so let's get to it. Why don't we start talking about the first discussion that you wanted to discuss was paralegal ethics, which is truly very important, especially for paralegals trying to walk that line. Yes, it really is. Uh, you know, it's my pleasure uh, being here and thank you. Yeah, the, there are um, several associations um, that have guidelines for paralegal uh, ethics, and I'd like to just mention a few of those and highlight um, a few of those uh, guidelines. Uh, the first one I, I would like to talk about is the National Association of Legal Assistants, which has its uh, guidelines for paralegals. Um, and, and first of all, how it defines uh, paralegals. NALA had in 2001 adopted the ABA, American Bar Association definition, of a legal assistant slash paralegal, and I'm quoting, it's a legal assistant or a paralegal is a person qualified by education, training, or work experience who is employed or retained by a lawyer, law office, corporation, governmental agency, or other entity who performs specifically delegated substantive legal work for which a lawyer is responsible. And um, that was adopted by the ABA in 1997. now, that also has its own uh, definition of paralegals, but also adopted the ABA uh, definition. So a few canons um, that NALA uh, has adopted uh, for paralegal ethics. And, and as we'll discuss as we go along, these are pretty uh, constant and pretty uh, uniform amongst the associations. Absolutely. So um, the canon number three is uh, what a paralegal must not uh, do. And... Uh, the first subsection of that is a paralegal must not engage in the unauthorized practice of law, which is uh, absolutely critical. And we'll talk a bit about uh, what that what that means. Sure. Um, and in fact, in their subsection B, it says that a paralegal uh, cannot establish an attorney-client relationships, set fees, give legal opinions or advice, or represent a client before a court or agency unless so authorized by that court or agency. And um, that is um, a, uh, some very good and pointed examples of the unauthorized practice of law. And I would take that, uh, the unless so authorized by that quarter agency, very, very uh, strictly, very, very. Yeah, narrow. it's really important. Um, I know there's a couple of states like California that are trying to, you know, I, like I said, walk that fine line and trying to change the uh, paralegal um, role and see how they can practice law because really if you think about it in perspective the United States is really the only ones that are really strict 
about this. Um, I work a lot with Namani Global, and they are, you know, obviously a global association. Um, and I found them through TED Talks. And so they are called Barefoot Paralegals. Uh, especially in India, a paralegal can take a client to court just like an attorney. You know, they don't differentiate. The only thing, the only difference that defines an attorney versus a paralegal is the law degree and obviously the certificate or the license. Um, but we are one of those nations that still, you know, are very strict and very forward about those. So I just for anybody that's listening that is from a different country or is not understanding why this is important, please really pay attention to this. It's very important. Yeah, and that's a great juxtaposition that you point out because uh, we are, and we'll see as we go along, that um, all of the guidelines are very uh, clear in terms of um, that paralegals uh, cannot engage in the unauthorized practice uh, of law. And um, as part of that third canon for Finala, it talks about that uh, paralegal cannot engage in conduct or take any action which would assist or involve the attorney in a violation of professional ethics or give the appearance of professional impropriety, of course, and uh, nor can nor can attorneys. Exactly. Um, I was going to say it's the same for attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, the fourth uh, canon finale is uh, they cannot render independent legal judgment in the place of an attorney. And as we'll see, actually, that is part of the definition um, that uh, has been given for uh, uh, in terms of what uh, constitutes uh, the practice uh, of law as well. Uh, fifth canon uh, finale, uh, canon five, it, a paralegal must disclose his or her status as a paralegal at the outset of any relationship. Um, and of course, that's critically important. And that, again, just showing the distinction between a paralegal and, and, uh, and an attorney. Uh, protecting client confidences, another critical aspect of a paralegal's uh, ethical duty, and that's Canon 7 um, uh, finale. So, uh, for example, a uh, paralegal legal assistant is in an elevator talking with a friend. Do not uh, talk about uh, the cases. Do not talk about a pending merger or anything um, to extent strictly protect. Yeah. A lot of law firms I know are now having their paralegals and every employee that has access to their case management software or access to files or any confidentiality, they're actually having them sign confidential um, agreements and they're included in their employee handbooks because this is so important. Um, especially in the legal field, we have a lot of sensitive information like social, uh, social security number, we have date of births, we have driver's license, birth certificates, death certificates, um, all this confidential information that, you know, we don't want it to leak. And, you know, a lot of attorneys invest a lot of money to secure the, the security of their client. Uh, and the last thing they want is an employee to breach that, you know, um, after they invested so much money in securing their client's information. So definitely that's a, that's a go-to for now. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And the fact that attorney uh, that attorneys and firms are doing that just highlights and emphasizes how very important that uh, confidentiality uh, is for a paralegal. Absolutely. Um, canon 9, Finale is that a paralegal must dis disclose to his or her employer or prospective employer any pre-existing client or personal relationship that may conflict with the interests of the employer or prospective employer um, or their clients. And again, critically important conflict of interest. Yeah, is for sure. Yeah, it is very important. Now, um, I know that a lot of firms do that at the intake. So once they are doing the intake process, they'll do several conflict checks. 
um, and their database does it. Some of them do it physically as well. Some of them do it even through bank statements. They'll run financial conflicts or anything um, that they sponsor, especially if it's an attorney of very um, high in their network. Uh, they, they even people that they've done foundations for or, you know, speeching engagements. Uh, it's getting to the point where the conflict check has expanded way beyond, you know, the the, what used to be very small, you know, okay, if, only if I represented you, but no, now it's like, if I spoke at your engagement, if I was, you know, part of your foundation, or, you know, they try to get you wherever you can, and I feel like sometimes the attorney is trying to defend their license more than defend their clients sometimes. Well, uh, and again, it shows how critically important it is, but there have been cases, at least in New York, which a firm was disqualified because of a conflict of, uh, of, a, of a paralegal. So it is, it is, critically, uh, it is critically important uh, uh, as well. And, uh, to the, and the extent that the firms are going, as, uh, as you mentioned again, highlights how important their rationale and what they're doing. I certainly understand uh, what you're saying, the rationale might be, uh, but they're taking it seriously. Yeah, and, and that's when you can tell when the attorney actually cares or where the attorney is just trying to get the money or, you know, just doing it out of whatever it is. So, the, you know, I don't knock it. I think the more secure they are, the more they have you sign, especially as a freelance paralegal, I sign them all the time because they're literally outsourcing their information. So I can't even tell you how many confidentiality agreements and conflict reports I've had to send, you know, attorneys to make sure that there is no conflict and, you know, all that information. So I, I see it from a different perspective uh, versus like the traditional employee, you know, employer perspective. Certainly, yeah. Um, now, the National Federation of Paralegal Associations also has its uh, model code of ethics and guidelines uh, for enforcement. And actually, the, the, um, the federal, uh, the National uh, Federation uh, has uh, guidelines for enforcement that NALA does not. Uh, so talking about uh, the, uh, the uh, NFPA uh, for a moment, um, it has some additions uh, and some similarities. Um, 1.1, section 1.1 uh, for the NFPA model rules talks about a paralegal shall achieve and maintain a high level of competence. Um, and uh, as knowledge, it talks uh, about education, training, and work. But here it talks about uh, that it, a paralegal should aspire to participate in a minimum of 12 hours of continuing legal education, an hour of ethics uh, education every two years in order to um, remain current on developments in the law now. Uh, we as attorneys know that we have our continuing legal education requirements. Here, the NFPA is, um, let's say, uh, suggesting or as a rule saying that paralegals should engage in continuing uh, education uh, as well. Um, Absolutely. And I think that goes across the board, regardless if you are certified or not. These are helpful um, courses and continuing education that you can continue not only to educate yourself, but also to educate others and make sure that what you're doing is proper and just according to the rules and procedures of any of your governing associations. Um, and there, and as I'm sure you'll go through, there are different um, policies and rules uh, pertaining to your jurisdiction. So, you know, you'll have like a county association, you'll have a, a you know, you'll have a city, you'll have a state. So you, it, it's important to stay in the known of all the jurisdictions that you are practicing as a paralegal. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, so NFPA also talks about a paralegal maintaining a high level of personal and professional uh, integrity. Um, communicating, uh, for one example, it's uh, Ethical Canon 1.2, a paralegal shall not communicate or cause communication with a party the paralegal knows to be represented by a lawyer in a pending matter without the prior consent of the lawyer representing such other party. Now, we attorneys know that we can't do that. So that is going to be uh, for, uh, to the NFPA extended to the uh, paralegal. Um, for sure. the, when the NFPA talks about uh, high standard of professional uh, conduct, uh, it talks about in its ethical canon 1.3 that the paralegal shall avoid uh, impropriety and the appearance of impropriety. Again, a, a standard that we attorneys um, need, need to meet 
being uh, imposed or suggested for, uh, for paralegals. Um, the NFPA also talks about, of course, confidentiality and its ethical canon 1.3. Um, a paralegal shall advise the proper authority of non-confidential knowledge of any action of another legal professional that clearly demonstrates fraud, deceit, dishonesty, or misrepresentation. So we've talked about confidentiality in the practice. What the NFPA rules do is it imposes, and I don't use that in a negative sense, but it imposes upon a paralegal to come forward with, um, uh, with uh, such uh, knowledge to the proper uh, um, uh, authorities. Now, um, in this regard, and needless to say, and one of the things we talk about, a paralegal, if uh, an attorney, uh, if a paralegal knows that an attorney is engaging in improper conduct, there have been cases where the paralegal, at least in New York, where the paralegal has been sanctioned as well as the attorney for allowing it to um, uh, to continue, and and interesting, yeah, and the paralegal, um, there it was a case it was uh, it dealt with discovery uh, in New York, and not just the violations of discovery, but um, activities that were uh, I don't want to use the word fraudulent, because not in the criminal sense, but. Um, and um, misrepresentative, let's say, or that the paralegal was also uh, uh, was also sanctioned. And part of this, in terms of ethics uh, with paralegals, if you know that the attorney with uh, whom you're working is doing something that is, um, uh, let's say, deceitful or dis or, um, or dishonest, uh, what do you do? Um, in, in that situation, do you talk uh, to the attorney uh, and say and 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 raise in a, um, a proper way uh, that you have concerns? Always be professional, guys. You know, because sometimes either the attorney's young or just doesn't know, or you know, sometimes it could be innocent. Um, and you may know a little bit more about the situation than they do, but, you know, so take that into consideration, but also you, you want to be that person to let them know because you don't want that to continue on either. Cause you yeah. can also, like he mentioned, you can also get in trouble. Right. And, and, and absolutely. And, and, in, and in fact, but if the attorney, uh, if you are rebuffed, um, by the attorney, then what? So, uh, firms are now have ethics uh, committees or partners who chair the ethics uh, uh, committee. You may have to go uh, to that person. Firms now have general counsels. You may have to go, uh, and I'm not talking just corporations, I'm talking about law firms. You may have to go to the general counsel and you may have to say, I have this concern. How can we handle it? And if you're still rebuffed, then what, what do you do? Because even uh, the, not even, but the uh, NFPA, its ethical canon 1.3 says, a paralegal uh, provides a paralegal should not knowingly assist any individual with the commission of an act that is in direct violation of the model code slash model rules or, uh, and or the rules and the laws governing the jurisdiction uh, in which the paralegal practices. So to your point, Edith, about you have to know those rules. If you knowingly assist now uh, under the NFPA rules, that's a violation. And as I said, there are cases. So you have to be very sensitive um, uh, as a paralegal uh, to this. Um, the NFPA talks about uh, its uh, canon 1.4, serving the public uh, uh, interest, including the delivery of pro bono services. There is um, uh, in uh, it's not a requirement, at least in New York, um, for attorneys to do pro bono services. But now the NFPA is uh, itself for paralegals, suggesting uh, that paralegals do pro bono services. Um, confidentiality, of course, is critical. NFPA talks about that, and it's in its, uh, its uh, one point five, in um, its kind uh, of one point five, and. Um, it uh, states in 1.5a that a paralegal shall be aware of and abide by all legal authority governing confidential information in the jurisdiction in which the paralegal practices 
again, going Ada to your point about you have to know all of the rules in the jurisdiction, whether it be county, city, uh, and and state. Right. Yeah, it's just like law in general, right? We all have our jurisdiction, circuit, you know, county, criminal. They all have their own administrative orders and things like that. So, you know, law is pretty much pattern, right? So, uh, you know, as as we sign off to be legal professionals, whether it's supporting or whether it's being an attorney or judge or whatever your little heart desires. Um, we all have certain rules and procedures to follow by. So we just need to be in the known and we need to, you know, it's not just taking the test, passing the test and then, oh, I know everything because it changes. You know, they, they constantly are getting updated. Uh, there's constant um, amendments and just like, again, just like anything in law. So it's not just, oh, I reviewed it last year. I'm good. It's like, no, no, you should be reviewing it at least a couple months to make sure that, you know, everything is up to date and that you're in the known of what's actually, um, I guess, current. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and currency is, is, uh, uh, is very important as it is for attorneys. It is for paralegals uh, uh, as well. Uh, the NFPA, of course, talks about conflicts of interest to prospective employers in its uh, counting 1.6. And when the, NF, the NFPA actually spells out um, certain things, um, conflicts of interest from previous assignments, whether for a present or past uh, employer, it's 1.6b, and conflicts of interest that may arise from family relationships and from personal and business interests, which is uh, canon 1.6c. And it's canon 1.6d, says in order to determine whether an actual conflict of interest exists, the paralegal shall create and maintain an effective record keeping system identifying the clients. We as attorneys, of course, we have our conflict uh, check system. The NFPA now has a canon saying paralegals need uh, or should be keeping the same uh, type. Yeah, of I mean, system. I think it's important just and not to cut you off, but I think it's important that yeah. everybody realizes that paralegals used to be called paraprofessionals. Um, and so we are held to a higher standard, you know, differently than a receptionist or an intake person or even a legal assistant. Um, you know, when you are at the status of a paralegal, you are basically the co-partner of the attorney. You guys work the cases together. You guys are a team. There is no I in team, you know, and it's important that you guys know that as high of a standard that the attorney is held at, so is the paralegal. And I think a lot of paralegals, especially nowadays, are not realizing the severity of the position at the law firm, just because for so long, they've been treated as just assistants to attorneys. And a lot of attorneys till this day will still call you an assistant. But if you are doing paralegal work, you are held to the highest standard, same as attorneys. There is no difference. The only difference is that they have a license to practice law and you are under their license assisting them to practice law. But other than that, that's it. You guys, you should be following, if anything, you should be following the ethics of the attorneys as well, with the exception of the non-lawyer, you know, practicing um, and things like that. But I always look at what the lawyers have to go through because that's really where you should be doing as well. I mean, there, there should not be a difference when it comes to ethics on, on those things anyway. And as a matter of fact, to that point, the ABA rule 5.3 um, talks about uh, non-lawyers within the firm. And one of the things that it, it speaks to in its subsection uh, two is that, um, and I'm again quoting, a lawyer must give such assistance appropriate instruction and supervision concerning the ethical aspects of their employment, particularly regarding the obligation not to disclose information relating to representation of a client and should be responsible for their work product. So uh, the lawyers uh, have, while the lawyers have a responsibility, as it is pointing out, so do you though, as a paralegal as well have a uh, responsibility. Especially if you're the paralegal drafting, right? So a lot of, the, in, in a traditional, right, stance, a paralegal is usually doing the first draft of whatever it is, of the motion, of the notice, whatever it is. So one thing that I'm a stickler about is 
reviewing your work, you know, making mm. sure that the case law that you have in there pertains to the case, that the facts that you're listing are truly the facts of the client. You know, we never want to do a misrepresentation of the client and have a client, you know, say, this is not what I said. I mean, why would you put the firm and the attorney and yourself in that position? A lot of us, you know, use the cop out. Well, you're the attorney. You should be reviewing it, but you're the paralegal, you know, so you take responsibility for your own work. Um, you know, always pre-freed, always edit, always make sure, double check, even after the attorney gives you the go, hey, this looks good, great, you know, here I signed off on it, double check, check for grammar, check for spelling, check for everything, because at the end of the day, the only thing that the law firm is going to be judged on is the product, which is what is submitted to the court, which is what the judge is reviewing, and it can either, either hurt you Right. Or put you in good standing with a judge like, oh, wow, this is a well-written motion. I completely understand what their argument is. You want that versus I have no idea what they're trying to do. You know, like I, this case law doesn't even go with this. And, you know, so just putting stuff on there, seeing what sticks. I was never a, a big fan of, of that. So really, um, if, if legal drafting, um, legal research are not your forte, really practice and hone in on those skills because at the end of the day, that's really what's going to count. The, the attorney is just going to argue whatever's on that piece of paper. And yeah, every once in a while we'll have an oral tennis and all that good stuff. But mostly the, you know, what I call the Bible is what was actually submitted to the judge because that's, unless you amend it, which again, will be on paper, um, you know, that's really all the attorney has to go by. So really um, take into consideration and really put some pride into your work before even submitting it to the attorney. The attorney should just be proofreading it, making sure everything is there and everything looks good and it's up to the client standard. That's really what the attorney's for. You are the bulk worker. You're the one that brings all the nuts and bolts together. The attorney just kind of puts the concrete on it. Yeah, and that's a and that's a great point, and it and it segues into something we're we'll talk about later. But I guess it should bring in now and is uh, what do attorneys uh, look for when they're interviewing uh, paralegals? And what Ada said is, is something that um, I look uh, for uh, in particular: um, the uh, legal assistant, the paralegal, who is going to put in that extra effort to make sure that a document or research is um, uh, is correct. It's not just going to say, okay, uh, here it is. Somebody who's very um, specific, who's very energized, who um, is interested um, in, in the product. Different attorneys work uh, different ways. Uh, I, for one, I'll draft uh, my, own, my own briefs and my own papers, but when I'm having a, a paralegal um, assist me, I want that paralegal to, uh, to know the case as I know the case and to be able to say to me, hey, Ken, what about this or what about that? I want an active uh, person with me. I don't want uh, somebody who's, who's passive and will just shake his or her head and say, yes, I want what uh, uh, a paralegal that Ada is talking about saying that will be, uh, will be active and take that uh, work product as his or her own as much as it is mine and i think that's yeah pretty absolutely important. i mean look this is um this is not an assistant position you're not an assistant right. if you wanted to be an assistant stay as a receptionist this is hardcore one-on-one -on -one with your attorney strategizing with your attorney you're not allowed to strategize outside the law firm but you can strategize with your attorney you can provide solutions versus problems you can identify the problems but come with solutions i had an amazing manager and shout out um that taught me don't come with me with problems come with me with solutions mm -hmm. it's okay to highlight the problem okay thank you for letting me know but how can we solve it is what i really need to know so from that that point on i always carried around pen and paper and i came with solutions hey these are the problems these are possible solutions what do you think and that really taught me about the teamwork and my manager was not an attorney they were the uh between right so we had the attorney we had the manager 
manager the, that managed the paralegals, and then we had the paralegals. But it was a it was a really good lesson to learn early on in my career um, because I take that with me everywhere now, and and that that like um, train of thought is something that can be taught. You know, it's not it's not going to come natural to a lot of people. Um, and ambition is a lot of it. A lot of uh, paralegals just come in and they either get thrown into the paralegal field or in the legal industry or they started as a receptionist they saw the opportunity to go as a paralegal but their heart's really not in it and then when they get into the paralegal world they're like oh this is nothing at all what i expected if that's you just leave do the attorney a favor um you know because really a lot of people don't see this but attorneys are business owners uh, you know, they're entrepreneurs Absolutely. just like anybody else. So, you know, if you're not in it to invest on their business and you're not there to help the business grow so that you can also grow with the business, whether it be financially or by position or however the business, the firm is actually structured, then what are you doing there? You're doing yep. no one any favors. So including yourself, including yourself, go find something that you are passionate about. Go find something that you really want to put your heart into and your attention to and stick with that. But if you're yep. not um, wanting to do legal research and work hand on hand with attorneys, then maybe, you know, the paralegal role is just not for you. Yeah. And to emphasize that and, and another very important point, law is a business. It is um, it is a business like any uh, other private practice law in particular. Um, it is a business and you are there as a paralegal to contribute uh, to that business. And um, for litigation uh, paralegals, if your case is going to trial, your attorney is going to be working to midnight, if not, if not later, going to be coming back from a trial day and which ends at whether 4.30 and 5 o'clock and issues have come up and you're going to be need to be there with her or him uh, all the way, giving that uh, important uh, support. So, and that's in, another thing in terms of the ambition that uh, Ada mentioned. That's another thing. I want a uh, paralegal who uh, I believe will be working with me until midnight and one o'clock in the morning and then be back in the office <laughs> at eight o'clock to prepare yeah, for the trial. You know, so we do this, we often forget one, we already pointed out that, like you said, law is a business, right? Law practices, law firms are a business um, and it's an industry in and in of its own. And it has the extra bonus of actually filling in through all the other industries, right? Every other industry has a legal concept behind it. Even your day-to-day -day, car, uh, driver's license, a marriage, divorce, uh, bearing a child, all that has legal concepts in it. So not only are we a business, but we're a business that's in every other business. So that's another thing to take into consideration. But additionally to all of that information, what you guys need to hone in on is the whole reason why there is a legal industry is to help other people that cannot help themselves. So at the end of the day, we are fighting for your clients. So whatever that client came to our firm or the firm with that issue, that's who we're fighting for. That's the whole purpose that we're here. And a lot of people lose that in translation. Oh, right. I got to work late again. Oh my God, I got to reschedule this hearing. Like you get so caught up in these little tasks versus if you just switch the switch on your mindset and say, you know what? So-and-so really deserves this hearing. We really need to get this motion out there. You know, this person really needs that opportunity and we really need to get them out of the situation as soon as possible. And this is not only, you know, cases revolving around personal injury or, you know, family law or anything like that. Every person deserves the opportunity and the best representation um, to the utmost, right? And and for, but, and for every person, and even when it's a business, this is personal. Yes, they take absolutely. It, they take it very personally. It's very important. It's very important to them. Even business uh, litigation has become uh, personal because in a lot of business litigations, you'll see small family-owned partnerships or entities where you have a, uh, where you have a uh, dispute. But even in the larger uh, yeah. business well, and, and you see like non-competes you know those yeah. are like a, a mess 
So all that information, you know, like I did a lot of non-compete work for, I didn't even last a year there because I just saw the, you know, it's, it was just not for me, I guess. Um, but there, there, like you said, it doesn't matter if it's a business, if it's a person, if it's an entity, whatever you're defending, the whole purpose that the legal industry is here is so that they get the best shot that they can when it comes to this, because either they didn't know, right, which is kind of the big deal, right? <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> or, you know, or they got themselves into a situation because of somebody else, right? Somebody else's actions or somebody else's um um, yeah, well, actions, there's really no other word for it. But um, so all of that needs to tie in together. And we just need to make sure that we're all working for the best outcome of our client, which I think even in your ethics, that's included, you know, that you have yes. to work in the best interest um, for the client for both attorneys and paralegals. Yeah. But um, you also wanted to talk about best practices, which I think that's really important for paralegals to know as well about the best practices for paralegals. Yeah, there are there are a couple of uh, uh, best practice, maybe pointers um, uh, or, or uh, tips. I mean, uh, first of all, it's prioritizing assignments. Sometimes we are hit with uh, multiple assignments at, at, at multiple times. And we need to understand uh, <clears throat> how to prioritize. And while there's not necessarily one answer, if you have uh, uh, assignments, which you legitimately cannot uh, finish all at, this, at, at the same time, you're not the person as a paralegal or legal assistant, in my view, to make that decision. Because if you make the wrong decision, it's going to fall on you. Instead, speak with the partner, speak with the associate, speak with the attorney and say, all right, I cannot legitimately be able to do this competently, um, both of these assignments competently at the same time. Which one should I prioritize? Should I bring somebody else in to help me if there's that person's uh, availability? And that way, the people who are quote unquote in, uh, in charge or whose clients they are know what's going on. Even if you have a case where the it's a senior partner's case is worth, let's just say, um, hypothetically, $100,000 and the associate's case is worth uh, a million dollars, um, it doesn't mean that the associate's case is getting done because it's a million dollar case, nor does it mean that the senior partner's case has the priority. Let them decide. Bringing communication is critical as, as a in law, of course, but also internally. In your Absolutely. Firm. I mean, communication is, is the, the strongest skill that you can um, continuously uh, improve on. Right. And I'm still working on it. It's a learning. It's a learning curve for me as well, especially when you're multilingual, right, when you know a lot of languages, sometimes um, the, when like in the Latin languages, your voice goes up and down. So all those little cues that you have to learn, you know, when you're in English, it's more like standard. So it, it can also be a cultural thing. You know, sometimes you you seem like you're coming off strong. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm just being passionate. Like, that's just me. I'm a very passionate, strong person. So it looks like I'm yelling at you, but I'm not. I'm just excited. So, um, you know, communication in all different types of levels uh, is, is very important, whether it's written or verbal. But to your point, um, Ken, I wanted to just emphasize on the fact that when you are so overwhelmed, right, um, ask for help. Don't ever make that decision on your own, like he said. But on top of all that, it's so important to treat each case with the care that it needs to be treated as. So it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't matter about the value. It doesn't matter about that. It doesn't matter that this client is a little more difficult than the other ones. You just want to get it out of the way. I get it, but you need to put these people in the same room and be like, what do you want me to do? H-E-L-P, help. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, uh, and absolutely. And another aspect of this, um, in a way, it's a, it's a form of communication is organization. The way you uh, organize your files and keep the files organized, whether the corporate files, whether the litigation files, it's critically important. And part of the organization files, and, and it is part of a communication, is how you title 
each document, how you title uh, each file. Can your attorney and you, as a matter of fact, if it's a year later, go back to a, um, a, a, a file and find a document within that file, find a letter that you're looking for, find a, a motion. And this, particularly when you have multiple parties in a uh, litigation or in a, in a corporate uh, uh, transaction, you don't you want to title documents with consistency and you want to title them in a way so that somebody who's not part of the case could find the document um, if need be. And, and that way, and it is an incredible time saver and especially not only a time saver for efficiency, but remember in litigation, um, for example, uh, and it's certainly in New York and I dare say uh, elsewhere, um, if a case goes to trial, a few of them relatively do, but if a case goes, goes uh, to trial, it's gonna be years um, later. And the way you organize your files from the get-go and the way you title your documents from uh, the, the get-go, you will be in so much better shape and save so much more time when it comes to the point of having to then prepare for uh, trial uh, if you're organized and if you title your documents in a consistent way that the attorneys uh, can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I actually created a whole time management method for the paralegal role because of this, because really it's all about how to manage your time so that you can stay on task and stay on caseload management, because at the end of the day, that's what paralegals are. We manage caseloads. So yeah. the thing is that you need to learn your software, see how your software can help you right? Because if you have, we have technology now, technology can be amazing sometimes, or it could be really bad, depending on if you're in the middle of a trial and your exhibit doesn't want to pop up, or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, it really depends on technology where we're at. And, you know, I had a, a similar uh, conversation with our one of our previous guests about legal technology and how much more it, it can advance, right? Um, but for now, we work with what we have. And it's really important that you know what the software can do for you and that you have backup, right? Because again, there's this thing where we need to save those files for at least seven years, 10 years, depending on your jurisdiction. Um, so that's also another thing that you um, goes back to the ethics and learning the rules and procedures and tying it all in together that you need to know exactly what it is um, expected of you what is actually needed of you because those are two different things and the need sometimes you can complete the expectation is something that you ask so definitely um, know the difference between those two and really stay on the rules and procedures of every level of your ethics of your law firm of your tasks of your job description whatever it is that um really creates your role and again this can differ you know every law firm is different every lawyer is different so it really depends on how you want to um run your role and how the firm expects you to run the role too yeah, and and in and in in that uh, regard, uh, many, if not most, uh, firms um, have and, and, and mentioned this. They have practice manuals. They'll talk about uh, things uh, like this. Uh, maybe not in a one or two uh, person firm, but certainly a larger firm. So see if your firm has a system. See if a firm. Uh, wants things done a uh, a certain way. You can bring something extra to the table and suggest, all right, well, maybe let's add this or uh, or add that. But firms have, a lot of firms have very detailed uh, uh, manuals and uh, organizational and procedural uh, operations uh, uh, manuals. And one of the things that, as we've seen, is uh, bringing it back to the ethics is a lot of these ethical uh, precepts, you know, even when we're talking about them just uh, generally in just a couple of, they are, they are broad. You look at your state rules, for example, in New York, the New York State Bar Association um, has rules of ethics, many of which are uh, similar to the ones that NALA has in, in, in NFPA. It goes back to the point that it was also making, you need to know um, all of uh, this. You need to be aware, you need to be uh, current. And while you're doing that, 
you are, as a legal assistant and a paralegal, you're an integral part of the case. You're not just a clerical, and just, I don't mean to demean, but you're, you're not just there to do um, a, a assistance. You are a yeah, like if we want to put a label to it, you're not there to be an entry level, right? Yes. You're, you're way past the entry level. So you're either right. at the mid to high level. Yeah, you are an important part of the case. And as a part of the case, somebody who needs to be active, somebody be has to be involved, someone who, uh, in my view, uh, I like it when a paralegal comes to me, as I mentioned before, and says, well, what about this? What about what about that? That is not passive, active. I think it's it's very important. And that's somebody with whom I want to work. That's a paralegal uh, with whom I want to work. Right, yeah. So, I mean, and of course, like, this is just, you know, attorney specific, right? So some attorneys just want that assistant, just want somebody to mail stuff for them or, or do the legal assistant right. uh, portion of it. So that's fine. You know, if, if that's the attorney that you uh, interviewed with, great, you know. But um, talking about that, you said you had a couple of what attorneys look for when they're interviewing a paralegal. Right. And I know you touched upon it shortly, but um, I right. wanted to kind of go into that because sure. a lot of our audience is at the entry to mid-level and are trying to look for chips and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. strategies that they can use at the interview level. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things uh, uh, that, um, uh, that I look for, there, there does have to be a, uh, it's a, a personality mesh. Mm -hmm. uh, can I, can I speak with this person? Can, do I think um, even though things are tense, maybe we can uh, joke around a little bit and lower, lower uh, uh, the level because cases of all or transactions, they can get uh, intense. Is this a person with whom I want to work? There's also the background um, factor. Um, I teach um, uh, continuing education, paralegal uh, studies. What I'm looking at in terms of the background is I want to see is, uh, does this person have a, uh, a, a solid background in terms of, does the person have a practical uh, background? Does the person know the type of documents that are involved in uh, litigation? Does the person know the type of documents that are involved in a corporate uh, transaction? Um, or is this a person um, that uh, I will uh, need to quote unquote teach from, from the ground up? And you know, quite frankly, um, I and I dare say most attorneys are have. Uh, you don't want to teach somebody from the ground up if it's if it's uh, very uh, entry uh, unless it's very entry level, and, uh, and we know that. I want somebody who has um, at least enough, not necessarily experience, but at least knows her his way around the documents, knows the procedures for litigation, knows the basic um, uh, what goes on in a in a corporate transaction. Because going back to the point about law being a, a business, time is money. And if an attorney has got to spend her time uh, teaching a, a paralegal what to do, um, that is time that the attorney cannot spend on the case client and billing and therefore making money. Yeah, and to that point, I get that a lot with the attorneys that come to me asking me if I know of any paralegal that can assist them and fill in that role. Um, there is a lot of attorneys that think like that. I just don't have the time to train them. I just need somebody to come in prepared, which is important, right? Especially if you're a heavy litigator uh, attorney and you have all these, you know, top-notch clients, and of course you want the full-on um, experience and you want your client to be happy, right, with that role. Because really, let's be honest, a paralegal does most of the communication with the client. Um, so, so you always want that as well. And not only that, when you're at the entry mid-level, for those of you that are just trying to get your foot in the door, I always suggest that you take on like a legal assistant receptionist job. Because really, when you start learning the intake process, how a client comes in, you'll learn the importance on how to keep that client. And that experience is really important. Like yeah. I started as a billing clerk for a law firm where we did payoff and reinstatements. 
um, quotes to pay off or reinstate uh, mortgage loans that have been in foreclosure. And I was a billing clerk for five years for an air conditioning company, which is how I got that job. So I worked my way up, you know, the ladder, but it was an experience that I'll never take back. I feel like if I ever started straight at a paralegal position, I would have had so many failures that I would have ruined my reputation just because there's so much to learn when it comes to a law firm, especially if you're working for a big law firm. A lot of people like to work for the big law firm because they think they get on the full experience, but you really don't. You only get your experience in your particular role. It's up to you to learn what comes after and what comes before that role. Um, you don't really get trained on what happens before and after your actual task when it comes to these big law firms. And if you're lucky enough, you'll get a little bit of training from a supervisor or manager or HR or whomever right. they, de they, they do, but not a lot of uh, firms do that. Not a lot of firms have that person to train you. So you basically train yourself. So I always suggest for yeah. those entry to mid people to start literally from the bottom up. Yeah, and that's, and that's an important uh, point because there's a difference in my view of training um, a, a paralegal and then being able to work with uh, uh, the paralegal and guide. Uh, attorneys have to guide paralegals in, 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 many, in many senses, but it's different training uh, a paralegal. And I think uh, what attorneys look for, what I certainly look for is a basis, is a uh, foundation uh, of knowledge in which the paralegal can uh, assist, the attorney can assist me with my work versus having to train the paralegal from the start um, right. and everything. And it goes to the point of time being money. Right. And no, exactly. And, and you want to give like there's certain things that you cannot train like you can train on the tasks. Right. You can train on on how you like your documents formatted, how you what um, what case law are your go to case laws, what citations you usually do in X, Y and Z situations. All obviously, you know, per attorney, you'll have to always learn that every attorney has their right. thing. Every attorney has, you know, what they like, how they like it. Times Roman, Ariel. I always have this, you know, uh, conversations with the, with the attorneys. I'm like, okay, what is it exactly that you like? Um, so not every attorney is the same, you know, and you guys have worked hard so that you can have that privilege of saying, no, this is how I want my documents. So, you know, other than that aside, because you're always going to have to learn that, what right. it is, what he's trying to say is, you have to train yourself on certain things. There is no way that the attorney can teach you how to handle a client, how to answer the phone properly, even when you're in a bad mood or you're having a bad day or you're having a lot going on. Like whatever happens to you outside the office should not affect you inside the office. And I know sometimes that can be hard, especially now during the pandemic where they merge. Um, but the thing is that Again, this actually goes back to what we were talking about is the client comes first, you know, not that the client knows it all not that the client is always right, because sometimes you do have those abusive clients where, you know, you would have to let your attorney know and your supervisor know, hey, by the way, this client kind of crossed the line, um, you know, and things like that. So sometimes there are situations where your supervisor, your attorney, your manager, whomever is in charge of your role um, needs to make that decision as to either, you know, withdraw from the case, or, you know, or cancel their services. There is always going to be that um, situation. But if they're just a difficult client because they don't understand the process or they're confused as to what this document says because you're always copying them because that's a policy for the firm, you know, things like li little intricacies like that that come as like the administrative portion of being a paralegal, those are things that the attorneys are not gonna be able to teach you. Like they're gonna expect that from you. They're gonna expect that you know how to handle these clients, how to handle administrative work if that's enrolled in your in your role, um, you know, how to, you know, handle certain situations. Like let's say the judge calls you, cancels the, the trial, so you gotta cancel the court reporter, you gotta cancel all of this. You know, right. all those little intricacies that come along with being a paralegal, the attorney's not going to have time for it. You're going to have to learn that on your own. And there's other outlets out there outside the classroom, outside the firm where you can learn that. But you have to take it upon yourself and you have to take those initiatives. If you don't have the experience, you have to teach yourself. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. Yeah. And initiative is uh, that word that Ada that you used is very, is very important. 
uh, I like to see a paralegal who takes a, an initiative, uh, understanding that there are boundaries, there are the ethical boundaries, of, uh, of course, um, which are critical, but also who will take that initiative and to help relieve uh, my burden as much as anything, because attorneys um, are burdened. So we're working at, as a team, but a paralegal that takes initiative and can help relieve an attorney's burden is an asset. And that's what attorneys are I mean, that's for. what we're here for, right? So the paralegal right. is there to assist the attorney and the attorney is supposed to focus on the strategy and the analytics of the case, how to actually properly defend this case, create arguments, support it with legal research, support it with case law and rules and procedures or the statute, whatever it is, that's their job. Their job is to create the argument, defend the argument and present the argument. Our job is to assist them along the way um, in any way that they see fit. So depending on what your attorney wants is how you're going to help them. And that's a conversation that I always tell my the paralegals I coach, that's a conversation that you need to have upon the interview process. Absolutely. Not when you get hired. That is a conversation. What are your expectations? These are mine. What are yours? This is how I like to communicate, but how do you like to communicate? You know, all that like that question where they say, "Do you have any other questions?" Uh, yes, yeah. I do. I have plenty. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, no, that's like, a great if this point. is going to work, I need to know X, Y, and Z. You guys have to be honest. You can't be scared. You can't take on the first position just because they gave you the job. Because at the end of the day, you're not doing anybody any favors, like you said, including yourself. So, you know, if you're in it just for the experience or you're there just because they gave you the job, that's not the right, you know, um, reason to be there. You're there to, oh, I really got along with this attorney. He was amazing. And at times you won't have that benefit. At times you will have a hiring manager doing the interview process. If that's the case, ask them about the attorney. How are they Absolutely. like? What do they like? What they don't like? What are their bad days right. look like? What are their good days look like? What is their, yep. you know, um, I wouldn't get too personal. I even had somebody, which was weird, um, ask about like their personal life, like if they were married or had kids. Yeah, I'm like, okay, that one. You find that out later on. But also, and then ask to speak to the attorney. Does the attorney, if it's a uh, attorney, if it's a small uh, for does the attorney yeah. have five minutes? Can I say hello? I think yeah. it is absolutely um, if there's a, a hiring manager. I agree with all of Edison. And in addition, I would say, can I speak with the attorney five minutes? You need yeah. to know who you're going to be. Who you're going to work with, right? Yeah. Because you're you're not only working for this firm, you're working with the firm. Yes. And if you cannot do that, then you're going to fail. It, you're just it's it's gonna happen it's gonna be the inevitable you're gonna either be unhappy uh, and it's not worth anybody's um struggle right you know so it, you really need to know who you're working for and with um if it's a team right you, i want to meet my teammates who would i be working with exactly. say a simple hello walk around the office i always used to do that upon my interviews with big law firms, I'm like, hey, can I take a tour around the office? Can I see what you know the atmosphere is like and see if I even feel comfortable? Because at the end of the day, if this is the career you want to choose, you're going to be there for the long run. Might as well pick a nice place. <laughs> Absolutely right. And the firm should want you to do that. The firm should actually invite and encourage that type of interaction. Even if it's going to be, if so, even if some attorneys are very busy, all I can do is, is say, hi, how are you doing? I'm so-and-so. Right. Or they're in trial or, you know, right. whatever the case may be. If that's the case, if they're not physically in the office, do the research. Go on the membership site, look at where they graduated from, how long they've been practicing, what what uh, what affiliations they have, what foundations do they like, you know, read their bios if they have it on the website. You know, things like that can help you really get the big picture before you even walk into the interview room or before you even accept the interview. Because sometimes even by that little research, you're going to be like, uh, you know, I always make this joke because my husband grew up in Gainesville, Florida, which is all gators. And I had this thing that I wanted to go to Tallahassee and be Seminoles and they're like arch rivals. Right. So every time I see like a gator attorney, I'm like, I don't know if I'll get along with them because I'm a Seminole, you know, so it's like um, these little jokes and these little things where you're like, ah, you know, but 
just to get the picture, like a lot of attorneys now have YouTube channels, a lot of attorneys have podcasts and, you know, they have all these social media outlets that you can get a really good picture of who you're going to work with and who you're going to work for right before you even say yes to the interview. So now that we're all online, now that this is all accessible and that attorneys are promoting themselves in other ways that they usually wouldn't do, I suggest that you do your research and make sure that the person that you're even thinking to work with, it will be a good fit, not only for yes. you, but that you'd be a good fit for them. So, yeah, but yeah, sure. it's very important. And the attorney should want that too. It, it, yeah. it should be, it should, it should be uh, mutual because uh, I, for one, I'm not going to want to work with somebody who I don't think that it's a good fit with. So, and even if I'm uh, on, uh, on trial or something, I would want, I would expect that I'm going to take the time at least five minutes to talk to the, to talk to the person, no matter what, if yeah, it, if absolutely. it, if it makes, if then we can't hire uh, the, the paralegal for another few yeah, that's days. The second interviews are for third interviews. Yep. If you can't do it or whatever the case may be, a lot of people do like second to third interviews because they're trying to vet out people, right? Exactly. Um, so maybe in the second interview, you get the opportunity to, you know, meet the attorney that you weren't able to meet or, or whatever the case may be or meet the team. But if it's not like that, if it's just a one and done kind of thing, then definitely make the most out of it. And yes. showing that initiative can also put you at the top of the list, you know, because the, the hiring manager and the attorneys are going to remember that, that you made that initiative of actually presenting yourself and actually introducing yourself and that's really important when it comes to you know just the whole atmosphere as a law firm you want to make sure that you get the full-on picture yeah so, yeah yeah and, and that initiative also shows how you will interact with clients when you're when you're meeting clients are you going clients want to see uh, uh, people in the law firm who are confident who uh, present themselves uh, well you as a paralegal are going to be part of that law firm and part of that uh, presentation. And, and whether it's litigation or corporate, they don't want to see shrinking violets, people are going to shy away and you're part of that uh, portrayal. You're part of the process. You're part yes. of the process. You know, the, every firm has their own process. And, you know, I know a lot about that because I do a lot of process improvements and development for law firms, but every firm has their process. And every time you may need a little tweak here and there, but hey, you know, at the end of the day, that's the process you need to learn. You need to learn how everything works, who's who, you know, who you can go to when you need a helping hand or when you need a second opinion, all that you want to learn as much as possible, because that's really what's going to get you again at the top of the list. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's very important and to get to that top list that you stand out from amongst all the others. And what we've been talking about in eight is points is, well, is how you can uh, get there and how you can impress. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ken. I appreciate My your pleasure. time. I know you're crazy busy, so I appreciate yeah. you taking this hour with me and really uh, giving a different perspective to the paralegal role from an attorney role. Everybody, he is an attorney. <laughs> he is in New York, <laughs> but none of this is legal advice. This is just educational. But yes, yes for sure. Definitely. Um, I appreciate your time and I thank you for coming on my podcast and on my YouTube and really taking that time to really inspire and educate, you know, paralegals. Because I know you do that on, um, you know, daily. So this is really cool to actually get like a one-on-one -on -one with you. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You as well, Mike.